Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? Great to be here and share the Word of God with you today. Uh, we're in the middle of this awesome blockbuster, the Movies of Summer series, and uh, got the assignment for today, and the movie is Wanted. And I'm like, okay, Pastor Jeff is going out of town, and he gives me an R movie. What's up with that, you know? Hey, Phil? Our, our movie, what, what's the deal? <clears throat> yeah, he'll, he'll get back, yeah. But anyways, <clears throat> it's an R-rated movie, but it's like, well, sometimes you can learn from things. Some, sometimes you can learn, like, in certain families, bad situations, uh, and, and the kids turn out okay because they learn from a bad example, right? So we kind of step back and take a look at it and say, well, maybe I can, we can learn from this. What, what, is, what is the message of, of the film Wanted? And really the Bible talks about that because God wants us to test everything, hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil, right? And so if it's a movie, it's a song, no matter what it is, there's always a message there. They're always trying to teach you something. So step back and analyze it. What's it all about? And there's some, some lines that pop out at us in this film, uh, even in the Super Bowl trailer that they had for the film. Uh, Take control of your destiny, Okay. The movie is about the main character, Wesley Gordon. He hates his job. He hates his boss. He's struggling with issues of identity, of who he is. And then all of a sudden, along comes this chick and tries to tell him that he is going to be recruited as an assassin. He's going to become part of a fraternity of assassins. He's going to shoot the wings off a fly and learn how to curve a bullet and all this kind of cool stuff. And so... Yeah, the film is about revenge, as we find out. Take control of your destiny. If Wesley would take control of his destiny, he would be the man. Then he would be somebody that people could look up to, even if it was only because they were scared of him. The idea in there is like, okay, if you kill one bad guy, you can save a thousand lives. So killing all of a sudden was a good thing. In fact, uh, Morgan Freeman's character once said that uh, by killing, they would equal the heights reserved only for the gods of men. That's the message of the film. It's all about revenge. And so we ask, is revenge your destiny? Well, there's a great contrast between what this film is teaching and what the Word of God is teaching. And as we read, if you want to pull out your crosswalk notes or your Bible or just take a look on the screen, as we read the Word of God, just notice the contrast in what this is saying compared to what Wanted is saying. From Romans chapter 12, Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be conceited, but and do not repay anyone evil for evil, Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so, so we have a choice every day in life, don't we? We have a choice. Will we take Satan's bait and want to be like the gods and take control of our life? Or will we learn from the Lord God? Is revenge your destiny? That takes us to our first point. No, revenge doesn't have to be your destiny because as our text says, love overcomes evil. You know, in this movie, Wanted, there's a ton of examples of betrayal and revenge. But I think one example really hits home. And that's because something similar probably has happened to you or someone you know. You see, Wesley, the main character, has a best friend named Barry. And Barry is one of these guys you might consider, you know, one of these cool guys, right, that always dresses pretty nice, seems to be in a good mood, always giving people high fives, seems to like his job quite a bit, a lot better than Wesley does, because the boss isn't really on his case as much as she's on Wesley's case. Seems like uh, Barry doesn't have a, a tough time attracting the ladies. He probably is not bad at getting a date. And that's where he crosses the line. He steals Wesley's girlfriend. So he steals his best friend's girlfriend. What a jerk, right? I mean, you can come out and say it. That, that's the first thing that I thought. If you've ever been in a situation where someone in a relationship has been unfaithful, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's some places where you just don't want to go, and that's one of them, isn't it? Especially with your best friend. So, you know, you might say, boy, Wesley deserves, he has the right to go up to Barry and just knock the snot out of him, right? I mean, that's kind of how you handle things. Or better yet, why not knock the snot out of his reputation? That'd be better. Call up everyone that Barry knows, everyone that you know, and say, can you believe what, what, what Barry did to me? Look, at, look how he ruined my life. So that everyone knows that, that Barry's not a good guy and to maybe make his life a little bit more miserable for how he caused your life, right? That doesn't seem too far-fetched. You know, there's a similar story in the Bible, but this one involves the prophet Nathan, King David, and then a made-up story about a rich man and a poor man. You see, the prophet Nathan comes to King David one day, and he says, King, I got a story to tell you. There's this rich man who has everything you could imagine, and then there's this poor man whose only possession in life is a lamb. And this lamb is not for his food. It's, it's actually part of his family. The only thing that he has in life is this lamb, which he feeds and he cares for and he watches. And guess what the rich man does? He goes over to the poor man's house, steals the lamb, he kills it, and he eats it with his friends. And when King David heard this, he was pretty mad. He's like, well, that's kind of messed up. I mean, he was burning with anger, and King David said, you know what, that rich man, he, he doesn't deserve to live. He should die for what he's done. I mean, he's got everything imaginable, and he steals the one precious item that the poor man had. But ironically, King David was pointing that finger of guilt and was condemning himself because the prophet Nathan said, David, you're that rich man. 
You see, what David had done was David committed adultery with Bathsheba. You might have heard that name before. And not only that, not only did he steal Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, but he arranged for Uriah to be killed. So he goes one step below what Perry did. He didn't just steal someone's wife. He killed that person too. Talk about scum. Talk about you know someone that doesn't deserve to live. King David was in that category. And so there he was, exposed. Everyone knew what he had done. The prophet Nathan pointed the finger and said, this is what you've done. And David said, you're right. And the only thing King David could do was say, have mercy on me, God. I was caught having adultery. I was caught murdering. I I have no excuses. And you know, it's a good thing that God's mindset was not like King David. King David had that rich man in the parable dead and buried, didn't he? When he heard what the rich man had done, he wanted revenge. Kill him. You know, make sure he doesn't live anymore. That's horrible. And what does God do? God forgives David's sin. God says, David, you confessed. I give you my love and forgiveness, and I'll spare your life. Now, some natural consequences did come up because of David's sin, like they do in our life when we sin, but God forgave him. You know, it's a good thing that God's mindset isn't the same as ours. How quick are we to do the same thing that King David did and to put revenge on someone? When someone hurts us, when someone hurts someone else, we want to get them right back. Because we look at our own hearts. Take out your crosswalk notes and look at the next passage. And on that passage, it says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. And look at how many things revenge involves. Evil thoughts. Well, there you go. Murder and hate. A lot of times murder and hate is because of revenge, isn't it? Theft. False testimony and slander. Usually when we tell lies about someone, we want to rub their name in the dirt. It's because we want to get them back for something they've done. Look how part revenge is of how our hearts are are so sin-filled and stained, right? But what does God say? Well, let's look at the next passage. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So God does get revenge, but he gets it on Jesus. And that's why Jesus had to die. And look at God's attitude about our sin. Now, I want you to look back in your crosswalk notes to the, to the big passage in Romans, and I want you to go to verse 12 and circle joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Because that's the reaction we get to have when, when we hear this. When we hear that God did not take revenge on us, just like he did on King David, instead of vengeful, we can be joyful. Joyful that we have a sure hope of heaven, knowing that everything's going to be all right. Knowing that we have a God on this life that will take care of us to the next life. All right, so we can be joyful. What else can we be? We can be patient. And boy, isn't patience the opposite of revenge? The attitudes that we have, that we act out on impulses, a lot of times that's why we want revenge, because we want to act at the drop of a hat. 
But my sister always told me when I had a temper when I was young, patience is a virtue, Philip, okay? So I try to learn that. And we know we can be patient because in any, any time in our life when we have affliction, which is a fancy word for trouble, you know, fancy word for problems, we know that God gives us promises in his word that we can be patient for. He says that his love will never be separated from us. And he says that all things will work out for the good of those who love him. All things. So some things look pretty bad in our lives, don't they? But God tells us that our thoughts are not his thoughts, and his ways are above our ways. Knowing that any problem we have in life, God is working for our good, even though it doesn't seem like that. So we can be patient instead of try to take things into our own hands, can't we? So we're joyful instead of vengeful. We're patient instead of vengeful. And lastly, we're faithful instead of vengeful. And faithful because God has been faithful first, and he's given us promises, like the power of prayer, faithful in prayer. And boy, this is an awesome tool to to use to fight against revenge. You know, when you're feeling like you want to get someone back, I really challenge you to sit down and pray about it. And you'll be amazed how those feelings will go away, because God wants them to go away. So use that tool He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will honor me. So we can be joyful, we can be patient, and we can be faithful, because God has been all those things to us. And ultimately, the last verse here, we love because he first loved us. And that's our final point. Point two is that viewing God's grace, viewing God's love for us, like in the story about King David, God's love motivates us to love him in return. Blockbuster movies struggle between good and evil. And, you know, we can relate to this because it's very real in our everyday life, the struggle between good and evil. Wesley was being recruited to be an assassin. You and I are being recruited on a daily basis by either the devil himself to follow his wicked ways, or we're we're being recruited by the Lord to work for him and to find a life of joy that he has for us. And so on a daily basis, we have these choices between good and evil. Think about it, though, as far as revenge is concerned, what is the end result when you follow a path like that? If we take a lesson from the movie, Wesley was all alone by the end of the movie because they had gotten so good at killing each other, they ended up killing each other off, and Wesley was the only one left. When you follow the path of revenge, it's a lonely road. They say it's lonely at the top. What does the Word of God tell us? in great contrast to what the world tells us. Look at your next passage. We're on the back side of the sheet now. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Instead of placing ourselves first, instead of caring about ourselves like we are number one and putting everybody else down, 
He wants us to honor others above ourselves. He says, do not be proud, do not be conceited. Pride is a lot like revenge. Pride, you take a look, you look down your nose at somebody else, you say, I'm prettier than him, I'm smarter than her, and all this kind of stuff. And the end result is you're saying, well, I'm better than them, I don't want to talk to them, I don't need them, and you end up all alone all over again. And so God tells us, do not be proud, do not be conceited, but exactly the opposite. Be willing to associate with people who are lowly. So often we make the mistake that we want to find and befriend people that are just like us. But God wants us to find and befriend people that are a lot different from us, maybe in the way they look on the outward appearance. But that means nothing because the Lord looks at the heart. And the Lord wants us to look at every single human being, no matter how they look on the outside. They might think we look kind of weird too. It doesn't matter. He wants us to remember that inside that person's body is a soul that's either going to go to heaven or it's going to go to hell. And so he teaches us about his love, the love that overcomes revenge, the love that is more powerful than Satan's hatred and vengeance. And he brings us together into a Christian congregation, into a place like Crosswalk, into a place that is a family, a place of love and acceptance. I mean, would people go around hugging each other? And would they just make that stuff up? No. God brings us together in a family, a place like this, so we can support one another. Look at what it says, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. God's family, God's church, to be a, it's to be a place where you have emotional support, where when things are going well and you're, you graduate, you get a new job, or you get married, a new baby, all those kinds of high points in your life, you've got people that are cheering for you and saying, that's great, we're happy for you. Or if things go the other way, things that make you sad, mourn, cry all those losses and tragedies that can come along to anybody, and and often so quickly, a loss of a job, a a loss of health, a loss of a loved one, high gas prices, whatever the case may be, right? But we can be there for one another because the Lord has brought us together, that love that brings us together, that changes everything. What a wonderful place to be. I mean, for myself, I just thank God for my fellow Christians at Crosswalk and the support that we can give one another. Take a look at the last passage there from Romans chapter 15. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The love that we share together, the way that we support one another, These are the marks of the true Christian church. People will know that we love God when we love and support one another. And so that takes us to our next point. God's love extends to our brothers and sisters in the faith. And it goes way beyond that too. It's a pretty awesome blessing as a Christian to be able to have brothers and sisters in the faith. And not only that, but what about the people who who we don't know, those who are in need? 
Let's look at the next passage we have on your crosswalk notes. It says here, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. You know, I think that a lot of people, when they hear the word outreach, they think of maybe one or two things. They think, oh, outreach. I got to go to someone's house I don't know, knock on their door, and in three minutes tell them every personal thing about my faith that I can and shove it down their throat, right? Or what about those people that are outside of a, uh, a sporting event and they've got those megaphones, you know, and they're preaching the world's destruction and everyone needs to come to Christ. And, you know, the funny thing is that a lot of times some of what they're saying or most of what they're saying is right, but people are a little turned off, aren't they? You know what part of outreach is? And yes, it's definitely, that's a part of it, is if you have the ability to go up to someone that you don't know and strike up that conversation, by all means, definitely do that. That is awesome. But we all might not have that ability. But that doesn't mean we can't do outreach. Share with others and practice hospitality is what that verse said. Wouldn't it be neat if in the future, and I think we're starting to get this way, If people in the Levine and South Mountain Phoenix uh, communities, when they thought of Crosswalk, immediately they associated us with people who help. Oh, Crosswalk, yeah, there's that church where where everyone just seems to help. They give their time, and and you know what? They help in places that other people might not want to. They help with the homeless, or they help with those who are a little underprivileged. Now, that's outreach, being a light to those who might not have seen anyone do that before. And let's look at our next verse in the crosswalk notes. The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And the king here is Jesus. So you see what that's saying? That when we help others who are in need, we are helping Jesus. That they are Jesus to us. That's a pretty cool thought, isn't it? When I go to somewhere and I say, you know what, I love God for what he's done for me. I want to help out, and I'm I'm helping this person. You are serving Jesus. But what's the other side of that? If we're not helping other people, if we're turning our back to others, if we're seeking revenge on others, then, then, then we're not helping Jesus, are we? And we're not serving Jesus. All right, let's get away from those who are in need. Let's talk about something even tougher. What about people that you simply do not like, your enemies? Maybe someone who has hurt you quite a bit. Maybe someone that you just might not want to spend a lot of time with. It might be someone in your family. It might be someone you're related to, or it could be someone at your work. There's a lot of enemies that we probably have in our lives. And even you people are really friendly and really nice. Deep down, you could probably admit there are some people you might not rather want to go on a nice vacation with or something, right? So let's think about those people. And let's look at our last verse that we have on our crosswalk notes. It says here, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. 
I'm going to put a picture up here, and this is one that we already saw. Uh, but this is a scene in the movie where I have to admit, sometimes in life, revenge seems pretty cool, doesn't it? And it gives you this feeling that justice was done. And you get this one, you know, when you see a movie and finally the bad guy got what he deserved, you do one of these fist pumps, right? Like, yeah, and you just feel good. People in the theater might clap. You know, I'm right there with you. And in this scene, Wesley snaps, okay? He got told off by his boss one too many times. So he gets up and he says things to her that probably everyone in the building wanted to say, but didn't have the guts to do it. And so after he gets done basically, you know, verbally attacking his boss, he unplugs his keyboard, wraps it around the keyboard, wraps the cord around, grabs it with two hands, and he's walking out of the building holding this keyboard, and he's got this real sly smile on his face. And Barry, his best friend, comes up to him and says, dude, you're the man, way to go, and is about to give him a big high five. And Wesley takes the keyboard and smashes it across his face. And all you can see is blood and a big tooth come flying out as Barry falls to the ground absolutely stunned. You know, part of me wants to say, and we're taught, that that's the way it should be, that that feels good, right? That's the tough thing to do. If someone hurts you, you get them back. Stand up, and what's the phrase? Stand up and be a man already. Have the guts to do that. That's the real tough thing is to take revenge. That's where it's really challenging. But I will argue with that. If you're looking for a challenge in something that's tough, what's tougher? Smashing a keyboard against someone's face or forgiving, praying for, and helping that person who hurt you? That's being the man. That's being the woman. And who do we look to? We look to the ultimate man, Jesus Christ, as our example, who did not come to be served, but to serve. That doesn't sound like revenge to me. He came to be a ransom for you and I. And think about, you know, his final words on the cross. Here he is dying for sins that he didn't commit, dying to save the world. And as people are pounding nails into his hands and piercing his side and all this agony is happening to him. What does he say? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He forgives people who are killing him. Talk about not a hint of revenge, not a hint of wanting to get back. If you want to be the man, look at the ultimate man, Jesus Christ. Because I'm sure glad that he came down not to be one who wanted to get revenge but to be a peacemaker between God and us. And because of that peace, we have heaven, and we can be joyful and faithful in all those things. So think about that in this upcoming week. Being the ultimate man or woman, look to Jesus as that ultimate man. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we've learned today a lot about revenge. And we, we know that there's so many times where, where we want to hurt others when they hurt us. But we look today at your great love, and you say in Jeremiah that you will remember our sins no more. So we thank you for that. And we ask you to be with us in the upcoming weeks.
And we ask you to, to give us the strength to, to look to you for guidance. In your son's name we pray this. Amen. Real quick, get out your connection card and, uh, and look on the back of it or on your crosswalk notes. And let's look at the next steps in the crosswalk. The next steps here, number one, is apply God's forgiving love to yourself and then let that love flow to others around you. And we talked about how we love because God first loved us. So with that motivation, we can live our lives that way. Number two, make a conscious effort to pray for, befriend, or help someone you consider your enemy. Now, this is the real tough challenge of the week, isn't it? You know, the person that you would consider your enemy, really try to pray for them. And you'll be amazed how your feelings and thoughts for them will change. And a lot of times when we forgive, it does a lot for us too, not just for the other person. It makes us feel better. And finally, meditate on and memorize Romans 12, 17 to 18. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.